Welcome everyone to your Loki podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Good evening, passengers. The Loki podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode three, Lamentis, is brought to you by the Figgy Port. Where's the Figgy Port? You just have to take my word on the Figgy Port. Pete, as you put in our pre-show notes, and I was like, wait, that's not true. No, no, it is true. Less than two weeks out from Black Widow, either in theaters or on the Disney Plus. Uh, Pete, it's been a movie years and years and years in the making, and certainly a year plus in the waiting. I can't believe it's right around the corner. News this week, Matt, to not a lot that Florence Pugh looking at some kind of spin-off treatment for her Yelena character. Uh, but uh, lesser known that David Harbour's character may be getting the spin-off treatment from the Black Widow film. We will just have to see. Uh, the other thing, news to no one listening to this, the Marvel movie podcast by Fantastic geek which has every single entry into the mcu film universe uh is the perfect way to catch up or relive all your marvel movies heading into black widow i believe it's been a while matt (laughs) it has been a little bit of a while yes some things have gotten in the way of the movies and whatnot i will say pete i'm not uh, look you know me i run spoiler free uh, however, it's not completely shocking to me that we might be seeing more of Florence Pugh this uh, year, this perhaps summer even, uh, beyond Black Widow. Uh, as for David Harbour, uh, a little surprise there, just in terms of the basic knowledge I have of the Black Widow movie. But I guess you could say, Pete, that Stranger Things have happened? So, yeah, just under two weeks. Of course, we will be adding that to the Marvel Movie Podcast. Can't wait to be talking to you about that. Let's look into the glorious purpose of this episode. The Marvel title card uh, transitions to upbeat pop music which brings us to girls night out yes party time i'm gonna say in the pacific based on the background and the you know pacific kind of uh, mountain-like features there we see agent c20 with sylvie now pete not yet named sylvie however you pointed out in the spanish subtitles she was named sylvie last week she'll be formally named later on in the episode we'll just call her sylvie right now Uh, Those two gals, they're getting drinks at this greasy spoon bar thing, talking about brain freeze. Here, let's play a fun game. How many people are guarding the timekeepers? And go. Hey, you can tell me anything, right? We see a a weird time jump, uh, and C20 is still not quite uh, talking. She does mention, however, that as for the the doors, they're gold. And uh, Pete, I want to point out that this, let me get it out right now, okay, since we're all at at the Pacific Bar here. This is the first of many scenes in this episode that look just fine with an excellent green screen job. There's no visual matte lines. The backgrounds are well designed and whatnot. But you know what, Pete? 
it's not stagecraft perfect. That's that Mandalorian tech there. You know, it might be a lack of interplay from the surrounding light or a decrease in the image of the actors since they're composited into the background. Just a reminder that this show, made after two seasons of The Mandalorian, made at Boku Bucks and, you know, post-COVID and all that, it's already using some slightly old-fashioned technology in that regard. And that's fine. And you can do that. <laughs> Uh, C20 remembers the restaurant, uh, but not the variant. And suddenly, Matt, she's just tired. We flash back to the security camera room at Roxcart, where the variant has her hand to uh, Hunter C20's head, asks her how to find those gold elevators. And on the camera, Loki and Mobius are arriving in the storm as we go to the title card. As Minutemen are summoned over the TVA loudspeaker to the armory and to protect the timeline and rush through time doors at the TVA, the variant steps through. She tries to touch one of them from behind, but finds her magic doesn't work there. She steals his baton and prunes him. A trio of others attack. There's a wall plant move, and she prunes another. Yeah, it's a it's a quite solid fight here. Um, we cut back to where that golden door had uh, opened, and just before it closes, Loki steps through. Uh, he notices that they're in the locker room. Hey, Chekhov's knives, you know, those knives that got uh, left last time. He's got them now. He sees bodies, and he tracks down Sylvie pretty quickly. She takes out two more guards. Um, including one who kind of poses while Buzz batoning the other. You know, gotta hold still for those visual effects sometimes. Uh, Loki says he wants to talk with Sylvie. They kind of blade fight for a moment, but he's wondered if they just couldn't work together. Uh, he sees that she lacks vision. They tussle more, and Renslayer, Pete, we're gonna hear in our uh, feedback segment uh, a little bit later how it's not enough Renslayer in this episode, and I certainly agree, but Renslayer has them cornered. Uh, however, Loki grabs the temp pad and sends them somewhere. Pete, where are they? <laughs> uh, and there's discussion once they drop through here uh, and notice that the temp pad is out of juice. The only time we see, I mean, yeah, we didn't get our Renslayer fix for much in this episode we we just barely got our miss minutes fix here on the tempad explaining that it's out of juice um there's a tussle over it who has it it's loki uh and he's hidden it with magic here uh they draw down once again on one another but are interrupted by a small meteor coming into i guess it was a tent this this first structure that they wound up in was that her power wait where did you send us the exterior shot here the purple mining moon of lamentus one in 2077 with a planet breaking up above it raining meteors now matt we know every week you know we had nine wandavisions we had six Falcon and the Winter Soldiers. We're on our third Loki. Okay. That we get a mini Marvel movie every week. But in terms of special effects, we might not have had a bigger entry yet. 
I would agree with that. What I would disagree with, maybe, and I say maybe, I want to stress the maybe there. Um, Pete, whether they are on a moon and it's a planet falling or they are on a planet and a moon is falling, I want you to know the episode uh, has it both ways, says it both ways. Um, I'm going to call Lamentis they, One. They never, ever say that a thing above them is a planet watched very closely. At one point, uh, they say it, the thing falling is a moon. And they, then they also call where they're at a moon. I don't, no, I guess. No, no, they are on a moon. The thing falling is a planet. I, I rewatched specifically noting that. I know at one point they also call where they're at a planet. I'm, all I'm just saying, in fact, it, here in this scene, the planet is called a planet. So I'm just saying, Pete, look, we watch with a careful eye and. Uh, you, you're wrong. <laughs> well, no. It, the episode itself calls it a planet. That that's where they're at. It calls Lamentis one the a planet. The thing above them is a planet. They're on a moon. <laughs> Be, listen, I'm not disagreeing with the actual science of it. I'm just saying that between no, Loki, it's never said the way that you're saying. <laughs> it listen. I, I, I'm pretty sure that it is called. It is herein called a planet. But regardless, uh, they, Pete, we need to get a move on. They need to get a move on. They're hiding from meteorites. Uh, and she says that she needs to keep an eye on Loki to find the Tempad. He knows she's so weird. Uh, they escape to a a more secure shelter. I think, uh, Pete, if we if, if we if we may go down, uh, you know, linguistics here again. I think you were right to call the first thing a tent, and then this next thing is more a shelter of some sort, more more secure shelter. Um, the abandoned mining shack that they call it. There you go. Um, here, Sylvie kind of closes the space between the two of them, not quite seductively, but not, not seductively. Uh, she tries to magic zap his mind. It doesn't work. And she is surprised. This is the beginning of just a magic, dare say British comedic timing that the two of them have. I get it. They're both Brits and whatnot, but there's just, there's an extra thing here that she brings to Hiddleston. And I must confess, Pete, I don't know. Uh, her work in any great detail prior to this but pete tom hilston has chemistry he had chemistry with the then unknown chris hemsworth he's got chemistry with Ro chemistry with robert downey jr pete tom hilston just has chemistry with everybody and you know is he the secret sauce is she the secret sauce they are secret sauces together here and for the rest of the episode can you have chemistry with a character that is not yourself but also yourself I think is the ultimate question. The not quite MacGuffin, but the the needed item here of the Tempad hidden by him. If he blow blows up, it blows up. Her plan blows up, and needing to recharge that there. Uh, this plan by uh, Sylvie, the soon to be named Sylvie, uh, interrupted years in the making uh as soon as she can turn the temp pad back on she's going to the tva to finish what she started what that is we're never told in this episode we'll speculate in a little bit but there's got to be enough power somewhere on the moon she says just enough to travel through interdimensional time and space outside again raining rocks loki asks what the plan is they're going to head to a nearby town. And here she says, perhaps on a surface level, in order to establish naming, she says she's not a variant. She's Sylvie now, 
Uh, she was a Loki, but now she's Sylvie. I think Pete, fine. Now we have the names of characters established and whatnot. I think, too, as we're going to see to greater effect later in the episode, it's also this establishment here of her own personality, of her, you know, her not being a variant from the main or the proper, but rather that this Sylvie was Sylvie all along. And, you know, obvious shades of metaphor here in terms of whether it's gender fluidity or identity fluidity and just finding oneself and living one's own truth. Um, Marvel able to do that pretty effortlessly here, you know, since they previously established shape-shifting magic-ish character, uh, they're able to kind of kind of dive into some of these issues, um, but hopefully not get too many people upset. Oh, wait, we'll talk about the unreasonable people who are upset. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Yeah, on the, on the train, uh, metaphorically and possibly fittingly enough. Um, there's a quick recap that her plan was to tear down the ultimate power, then walk away, question mark. So I think that while we have a lot of fun going on here and obviously chemistry between the two of them throughout the episode and some action set pieces and so forth, uh, it's a, it is a small but noticed reminder. What is her plan? Oh, right. Tune in next week because just tear it all down. Then was she really going to walk away? He wouldn't walk away. These are, these are pertinent questions. Just barely kept alive in our in our brains as we watch and enjoy all the you know meteoric fun in the town looks like they've already fled in vain sylvie says they have about 12 hours or so but it's going to get worse more meteors gravity quakes and of course the complete and total collapse of society in the face of annihilation hey there's a power source that sign could that charge the tempad oh yeah give me the thing and i'll see if it does but the trust issues and the games uh not coming through here for uh sylvie uh the tempad of course requires a massive power source not a nightlight uh with that they approach the hut of uh pete a character may i call her the widow for lack of a better term or do you have a more canonical term I have lady. Lady. Woman. Well, the, the lady, perhaps a widow. Uh, perhaps I will even call this the widow's hut. Widow lady? For... <laughs> there widow you go. Widow woman? Uh, Sylvie kicks the door open and gets gun energy boosted uh, a good 20 feet away. Uh, Loki says to the woman uh, that his acquaintance is an animal, but they mean no harm. Loki, uh, of course, he does this, I should mention, in his normal Loki voice. Loki then spots uh, her... her husband's picture and takes his form um i i guess i will grant you pete if you have the magic abilities to change your shape that you could probably um figure out i don't know whether loki actually shape shifts internally as well to the same vocal cords or whether that's just part of the magic i'll grant him that what he thinks the woman is going to think when there was like british tom hiddleston sorry about my acquaintance and all of a sudden patrice dear is back looking at how beautiful you are and whatnot and I, I'm not surprised that the lady didn't fall for it. Um, his simile, you're as beautiful as a... Uh, alas, oh. Pete, that simile interrupted because uh, Patrice never said a thing that nice in 30 years. Pete, where is hashtag justice for the widow? And can we get hashtag widow justice or widow love rather at some point? Uh, they're no travelers, Matt. They're devils. She calls them devils twice. Uh, Mephisto confirmed. 
<laughs> well, Pete, if they said it once, then it would just be nothing. But to say it twice, clearly Kevin Feige is trying to to signal to all the audience members in the know that that uh, is the widow Mephisto. Are they Mephisto? Uh, they're all Mephisto. We were Mephisto all along. <laughs> um, on the one hand, Pete, this scene it, it certainly is fun. Maybe it's a little extraneous. I mean, granted, there is some setup involved here for the episode. The widow explains everyone's gone to the Ark. The Ark is the rescue ship over on down that way. I uh, got to take a train. Good luck with the train. So I know there's a certain there's a certain story necessity to this scene. And certainly, Pete, you want to have a fun comedic scene for the sake of it. Go for it. Just kind of, I felt like she's memorable enough where, joking aside, if this character comes back as soon as next week or as far as gasp three weeks from now when the season is over, uh, I think she will have been memorable enough for us to go, oh man, it was Mephisto all along. Or, oh look, they've been able to rescue the widow or whatever it might be. Well, I think there's two points, at least, in the sake of this episode here. One, introducing you got to take the train to get to the arc and two that uh, she's the domino that leads to their discussion on the train about love. I would certainly agree there. Also, Pete, it's kind of like a mini Mando mission. You know, there's been complaints uh, that each week the Mandalorian has a single task to complete that gets him to the end of the story and on to the next a one. A bounty hunter does things? <laughs> what? I know, I'm surprised <laughs> and, and... too. Gets people. Uh, the story moves to the train station where indeed there is an angry line. There are stylish guards, Pete, kind of trooper guards who are trying to project the strength of a storm. I don't know what you would call such sort of stormish type troopers here with their helmets and such. Uh, Loki and Sylvie survey the line. Her plan is to enchant a guard. Loki instead will magic dress as a guard. How's he look? Uh, and Pete, one of the best lines, and I'm not going to be able to fully replicate here, seeing as how we are pa-family, pa-friendly, but uh, just her immediate reaction looks like someone has a crap plan. Pete, if you're going to save the S-word uh, to show up once in the episode, this is the place to use it. It is, and uh, they're going to escort. Uh, the The train is heading to Sheru. Um, he's going to escort her, and... I like how they have to use both of their abilities here. One, his illusion, and then when the guard attempts to stop them because they're not wealthy, and apparently you don't take a prisoner in the midst of this entire uh, exodus that she has to enchant the guard who suddenly remembers that uh, they they radioed a request to bring her in this morning. So everything's okay. Let's have some drinks in that uh, bar car. Indeed. By the way, right before they get to that bar car, the guy I'll call guard number two, who ultimately is the one who says, oh, guard number one, you were radioed the radio? Okay, sure. Pete, I'm pretty sure it's guard number two who shows up later. Uh, but in that bar car it's the lap of luxury pete thank goodness the bar car is not filled with you know people who might um be able to leave the civilization that's about to be destroyed or you know maybe there's the ship is full or whatever but thank goodness there's room in the bar car to just kind of relax away from all the pores uh loki and sylvie sit and there's some sitting down banter i can't 
face I have my back to the door there's two doors I can't move in the opposite direction of the train which I must admit Pete I'm not a real big fan of sitting in the opposite direction of the train um uh but regardless Loki offers to let the tired Sylvie rest uh she'll let him rest and promises that she's not going to dig around for the tempad um they talk about how someone taught him some decent magic he reflects saying that it was his mother and is asked to tell her more he calls her, his mother, a queen of Asgard, good and purely decent. Uh, then he found that he was adopted. Oh, wait, is that a spoiler for you, Sylvie? No, no. All of this, not just good recap, but it's having me hope that there's going to be a Sylvie flashback episode soon and that maybe when uh, Disney oh. puts stuff on YouTube that is going to talk about the character of Sylvie, maybe it won't include footage from uh, future episodes <laughs> just because, you know, I just, just want to throw that out there. Um, but we find I was out seriously surprised how much had had suddenly popped out that in a 58 coming. second YouTube video sanctioned yeah. by Disney um, uh, marketing. I would agree. Yeah. And the one actress is fairly well known on a not as big as it used to be show, uh, but interesting nonetheless here. Uh, so, so that is coming, of course. <laughs> and if you haven't seen that clip, then you haven't had that spoiled for you yet. Uh, but, uh, she did, uh, get told she was adopted. He did eventually. Um, she barely remembers her mother, just blips of a dream at this point. Um, but when Loki was young, his mother Frigga did bits of magic for him, turned flower into a frog or cast fireworks over the water. It seemed impossible, but she told him uh, that uh, one day he could do it because he could do anything. There's also this line here from Loki. I believe I have the quote correct. Tell me who, tell me about your mother. It left me wondering, Pete, did Hiddleston half flub the line and they kept it in? Or did Hiddleston act the heck out of Loki flubbing his own thoughts out loud? Either way, I suspect Pete it actually is Hiddleston flubbing the line. But it's so good in terms of expressing Loki's surprise at getting all this information that, again, regardless of whether it was a well-intended act, oops-a-daisy, Pete, it is a moment that is just true to the character. It is, and love the special effects of the the fireworks going off in his hand there um and the melancholy with which he's remembering his mother here we we feel it it, it resonates from that initial episode there um she says that uh you know he is uh Sounds like Frigga really believed in him, um, and he said that she did. And uh, great moment here by Sofia Di Martino. Uh, that uh, where did he learn to do the and grabs for the neck there, uh, trying to enchant him. Um, the idea of going into the mines for the illusion. Uh, and that it would be easier if uh, she just showed him 
and they're pushing back oh yeah and then you'd enchant me and take the ten pad and leave from the train a little bit of foreshadowing there perhaps um, with that some champagne arrives and Loki's going to enjoy both they reflect on that old woman who chose to die uh, did she love or hate her man Sylvie notes that love is hate and Loki pretends that it's kind of a what is grief if not love persevering sort of line which is to say Pete it's a good bit of banter here um, certainly more important stuff is about to happen uh, but uh, I think this way Pete Loki is giving it the right amount of weight which is thing is its opposite uh, is is good but not great I love the uh, conjuring of the quill pen and the paper to write love is hate down uh, before he finishes making fun of her and then gets serious. Is there a lucky bow waiting for her at the end of this crusade? She says that there is. And of course, we'll speculate some more as to the veracity of that, that she's managed to maintain a serious long distance relationship with a postman whilst running across time from one apocalypse to another uh loki you're a prince there must be would-be princesses or another prince a bit of both he says suspects the same for sylvie and matt people on the internet who didn't like a line of dialogue lost their minds Pete, I don't mean to be patting myself on the back. I was completely paying attention the first time I watched this episode. I heard that line, and I was like, yeah, tracks for Loki. Keep moving. Like, it, 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 I must admit, I must admit, Pete, the importance of it in terms of representation, even that didn't fully resonate on first view. It was just like, yeah, makes sense for Loki. Like, Loki, uh, later on, he'll describe himself as a hedonist. Like, Loki does not hold back. If it works for him, he speaks his truth, he goes for it. Um, but, you know, they then wonder, you know, love is mischief then. Uh, no, I think here the point is that uh, love is as you feel it. And here the MCU lets uh, such things be felt for the first time. Uh, and there is your... There is your... your Small moment that if it means if it means not a lot to you, uh, then I then either you're you know you're missing out one way or another. If it means a lot, hopefully it means positive things in terms of representation and open mindedness. Uh, and if it means bad things to you, then I I got news for you: the MCU is headed to a real more diverse place than it's been in the past. Also, uh, isn't this completely in line with the character that we've known both in the MCU and also like? In mythology? Uh, maybe knowing some Norse mythology that he's transformed himself into a horse and had relations with a horse and given birth to a horse. Okay, so if real world, um, you know, uh, sexual preferences bother you, boy, is mythology going to be hard to swallow? Pete, at least we have good old Zeus, who is a serial monogamist. <laughs> uh, such musings aside, we get the central mission kind of repeated for us. Get the power back against the falling threat. 
Uh, and uh, some time passes by. Sylvie awakes to Captivating Loki. Captivating instrumental music playing. <laughs> uh, Pete, if ever the um, if ever the subtitles were, were more true than I don't know when that was. Um, she sees that as he sings, his TVA coat and indeed outfit is back on. Pete, he is a happy drunk. This is when a man steps out kind of eyeing them. And Pete, not eyeing them in that other way from prior in the scene this is instead uh i'm gonna go get guard number two to elevate the action of the scene in a little bit but uh again it's gonna be tough for any of these shows to ever uh equal what is grief if not love persevering but loki is saying that he's not drunk he's full very full (laughs) um been there been there and and did you catch the easter egg in this scene uh, something tells me you're about to <laughs> tell me about an Easter egg that a clickbaity website said there is a reference to uh, Asgard here, which is a reference itself to the Flims Thor one, Thor the two, and Thor the three. But another Pete, is... smash. Oh yeah. Well, wait, wait. Did someone out there on internet really claim that? Loki doing a thing that we saw his brother do in a, another Loki Thor movie, that that it's is an, an Easter, Easter egg. egg. It's an Easter egg. <sighs> that, it's, it's not an Easter egg when two brothers do the same thing. Look, One's adopted. It, it's an Easter egg. Somebody, Easter egg. I, I read somewhere, like in the, la- in the last week, I read somewhere that somebody done the math and like prior to this show, Loki had been in 48 minutes of movies you know in 10 years like just be like oh my goodness but he was the major in 10 no he's been in like less than a a half of one movie um in terms of screen time so wait was he an easter egg himself (sighs) pete it is true that in uh marvel's the avengers also known as avengers number one the evil character of loki who uh also appears in a in a in a secret scene in captain america uh the first avenger those are both Easter egg references back to Thor, the number one. There you go. Uh, We're told all about the thing that pairs well with the figgy port. Really cute uh, dialogue here. And Michael Waldron said they, they really worked to get that in. Okay. (laughs) I, I didn't really get the figgy port in or the, I I had to cram it in there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and then we come to the love is a dagger metaphor here. Uh, the weapon to be wielded far away or up close. You can see yourself in it. It's beautiful. But ultimately, when you reach for it, it disappears. Sylvie says it isn't real. So wait, love is an imaginary dagger. That's a terrible metaphor. But Beardo has returned here. And points. So they're asked for tickets, please. Flash on my hair. Pete, that must be a reference. Let's all say it now to that Kevin Smith movie, which itself has an Easter egg back to uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, see, I did the misdirect there because that one Kevin Smith movie stole a scene directly, which is not an Easter egg. It's a reference or if you want to be a little more highbrow, it's an homage. Or it's Kevin Smith copy-pasting 
three lines of dialogue. But I digress. Here are tickets. Pete, this is when the Figgy Port payoff occurs. Uh, Loki can't magic up the tickets. Instead, he magics up the fireworks. Uh, with that, a fight ensues, a rather fun one. I especially like the, you know, the the lesser guard who, you know, authoritatively puts a hand on Loki's shoulder. So Loki does it back and there's like pat, 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 pat before the fight truly breaks out. Look, this is an episode that mo- this is an episode that it's how long is this? Forty minutes, thirty-five yeah. minutes without credits. This minutes. this is an episode that if you all the if you add up if you subtract rather all the walk and talk, all the fight scenes, and then all the, like the VFX runny run stuff at the end in the fake one shot, um, you have very little episode left. Like it's mostly the two of them walking and talking or fighting or running. Um, which is say we're gonna have a lot of fights, so let's have a fun fight here with tap 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 tap. Um, there's also Loki throwing a dagger and missing Pete. That's because he's had too much figgy port. I love that Sylvie uses her uh, one horned headband here as a weapon, um, but kicking a guard through the window, then two guards toss Loki out. Sylvie then heads after the ten pad. Uh, and out the window herself. Um, she draws her sword again. She wants this tempad, but we get the reveal that it is shorting out and smoldering, so it's done. So now, forget the power source to power it. Now we need to get off this moon. Pete, you know what else is done? Is the TVA jacket in which Loki lands from having been thrown from the train, then the next shot, he walks into frame with no jacket. I guess he's gotten rid of it, and this is not some sort of pickup shot or continuity error, um, but I will take a deep breath. Yes, Tempad now gone. With that, Sylvie cries out in anger, walks away. There's a quiet moment. Loki then asks, did the scream make her feel better? She says, yes, it did, Pete. Sometimes I I remember back I want to say fifth or sixth grade health class they said when you're frustrated sometimes you know you could sing a song you could draw a picture you can go for a sing walk a uh, maybe what you need uh, Pete this was ad- advanced stuff we were the 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 um, curriculum was called uh, here's looking at you two thousand or looking at you two thousand Pete it was to get us ready for the year two thousand and all the all the challenges that be ahead something else you can do when you're frustrated Pete. Scream into a pillow, okay? That's kind of what Sylvie did, except the pillow is the entire uh, habitable spheroid of uh, of um, of uh, Lamentis One. Yeah, uh, quite hedonistic. It is, Pete, and you know we felt all these emotions here, but I feel like I've lost track of the conflict. So thank goodness the episode restates, perhaps not the the conflict of the characters, but the central issue here, they better figure out a solution because everyone on the planet will die. Uh, The Ark, of course, never leaves because it's destroyed, but Pete, then there's an Easter egg. One of them, I think, says, what if, which is an Easter egg for the fourth. No, I'm just kidding about that. But what if Sylvie and Loki hijack the Ark and it gets off the moon? Hey, it's a plan. Pete, it was at this point on first view, I was like, this is a completely reasonable uh, solution to their impossible-to-solve problem. They found the single solution. This is great. We're going to get more um, Agents in Space stuff, uh, which is to say I bought totally uh, bought into 
bought into it, even though they're going to take it uh, away from us at the end. One of the hot takes on this, what I found a, a very enjoyable episode, was that, oh, they tried to subvert your expectations that uh, they're going to get off because the, the temp pad's broken and then they don't get off. We've been told the whole time, no one makes it. This is the worst apocalypse loaded on that temp pad. And what happened happened so <laughs> i i don't know if they could spell it out any more clear for the viewer um continuing on with this uh you know it's it's funny we've got the buddy cop thing kind of happening with uh loki and mobius uh the the traveling companion uh vibe here with loki and sylvie takes on a little bit of that at times. Um, he doesn't think he's ever walked this much in his life. He says, what if she enchants him and walks for the both of them? He could take a nap in his subconscious, but it's not how it works. So they're giving us some more understanding of her powers. Um, and then he's told her so much, given her a tactical advantage about him. We start to see the city of Sheru on the horizon there but no enchantment works you have to make physical contact and then grab a hold of their mind how depends on the mind most are easy and are overtaken instantly others are stronger that's where it gets tricky she's in control but they're there too and in order to preserve the connection she has to create a fantasy from their memories. You know, like she did with that young soldier from the TVA. Boy, was her mind messed up. It was clouded. She had to pull a memory from hundreds of years prior. Pete, I remember that. That was from the beginning of the episode. I know what she It's an Easter egg. Was it hundreds of years prior? And also, um, that was an Easter egg to all the other two episodes where we were told uh, Mobius and everybody who works for the TVA was created by the timekeepers and not from hundreds of years in the past or the future or somewhere else. Joking aside, this is, of course, new news that, you know, this was hundreds of years ago before C-20 worked for the TVA. Wah! Um, indeed, she was a regular person who loved margaritas, not created by the timekeepers. Sylvie then doubles down. C-20 is uh, a variant like all of them, which... Has me hoping, Pete, I don't want to quite go into theory territory yet, but does this mean that we have a multiverse of Mobiuses to, to somehow look forward to? Um, does this mean that maybe Mobius can get killed off and be replaced by another Mobius? I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot of Owen Wilson potential here. Um, Loki says that none of them know it, which means, Pete, the nominal goodies, the workaday folks, your Casey's, your Mobiuses, your... Um, lady at the library who only responds to the ding button, the bell, if you will. Pete, they're all prisoners, which means anyone who might rescue them, I don't know, Sylvie and Loki, become anti-heroes, not villains. But ding, ding, there's our ride. We can hear over a loudspeaker that there's 10 minutes till the arc launches. Final boarding call. And they hoof it to the city where you said before it's it's plain to see it's not a uh a one shot 
that's not an Easter egg, Matt, uh, to Marvel one shots that we used to do on the old uh, DVDs and the Blu-rays. But we get this harrowing fight run sequence really, really well done as they're attempting uh, to make it to the arc only to see it destroyed in front of them and what to the untrained eye seems anticlimactic but actually a logical end to the episode well two thoughts there the one is um when you can spot that this is a vfx stitched one shot and not an actual one shot i think you then i think most audience members will then say okay well i nonetheless give kate heron the director and the entire production a ton of credit for approximating a one-shot with all of this planning just the same as i don't think that josh brolin actually looks like thanos i think that thanos looks like josh brolin because of vfx not because it's actual naked reality um so to me i feel like okay fine we, pete we're, we're naked now <laughs> the, the naked, oh indeed we're kind That's of saying you know, <laughs> we're saying you know pinky up you know we spotted that the one shot wasn't a real one shot I'm saying fine, it was spottable, but credit nonetheless given, I won't say for the attempt, they did exactly what they wanted to do. Um, I'll add to that, Pete, the ending of this episode, again, surprising that they don't get on the thing, um, surprising on first view, but um, the fact that you hit us halfway through with, oh no, supposedly no way out, and somber music to play us into the credits, um that's that's part of the fun i expect I expect things will end on a happier note in other episodes but here not the case hey oh wow 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 oh man i feel like wow let's say wow to some mind-blowing theories the first one here pete Sylvie says that she needs power to travel, you know, for the Tempad to travel through interdimensional time and space. Pete, might that other dimension be the Quantum Zone? There's some stuff out there, and uh, you had actually pointed me to this this week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's old hat, in my opinion. It's old hat uh, since the first Ant-Man movie to say, look, is that possibly a city in the Quantum Zone? And it goes by in... I mean, if you say one second and mean one Mississippi, it probably goes by faster than that. So could it be a city that's there on purpose? Sure. Could it be like a year and a half after Ant-Man came out, somebody at Marvel was like, oh man, do you remember when Georgine made weird shapes for that Quantum Zone shot? There are people on the internet that think it's a city. And, and Kevin was just asking if we could have places that we didn't know about that were still there this could be a city now so it, it, again this might be planning years in the making or it might be like whoa somebody did some weird spikes that look like a city to our human brains and now they're going to retcon it as a city or pete maybe they're not going to the quantum zone at all i don't know i don't know why anyone would think that there's gonna be quantum zone uh elements in the multiverse troubles that are ahead of us but uh what are your thoughts pete can it can it be both? Can we can we have fun with a thing and at the same time, you know, the wonder of this enormous uh, connected universe and and just have fun with it instead of you, you didn't make it connected to this thing in the past 
and that angers me. But then you get the joy of seeing the abomination in the new Shang-Chi uh, trailer, and it's all connected, maybe for the first time, Matt. Um, Pete, Sylvie says that she has this plan to tear down the TVA and just walk away. Do you buy the walk away part? Is there a phase two? And I don't mean in the whole, you know, Infinity Gauntlet saga thing. I mean, what is her plan after she's, in her mind, successfully obliterates the TVA. I think we have to take what she says at face value that there's a man, that this is about love. Uh, and of course the answers will be forthcoming. Um, you know, what I think that also served was to differentiate Loki and Sylvie. He says he'd never do that yet. What is he say, and she also says, they are both hedonistic. Uh, so, again, until you're definitively told, I, I think you could read it both ways. Pete, let's stick with Sylvie's bow for a moment. She says that he's a postman. Pete, I'm going to put, I'm going to form this, I'm going to ask this in the form of a question, but I want to just say I'm prepared right now to fully declare i know who the postman is will he be revealed to be the title character from 1997's the postman the kevin costner <laughs> starring directed by movie which wrongly wrongly won slash got the razzie award for worst picture are we going to see k Kaz join the mcu as the postman i can definitively say no ah fooey how about this pete help me out with this okay Rich folks, the rich folks on the train, they're basically not panicking about this forthcoming climate disaster that's going to kill everybody. What's that a metaphor for? For <laughs> uh, Can you tell me? I believe it's an Easter egg for short-sightedness. But Matt, how many are guarding the timekeepers? Well, I think there's a couple of ways that you could uh, divvy that up. If your question is how many people are at the TVA through which I would need to get, I would say that is a number that is uh, great. If the question is uh, to those in the know, um, in the antechamber outside where the uh, timekeepers keep time, uh, how many folks are there? I really think, Pete, that we are headed towards, wait, there's no one guarding the holy room and you open the door and that's where you're going to say wait i've been expecting three lizard men or three people like all the times we've seen them in animated form in statue form in stone statues in the lobby of the hilton or whatever uh in wood form in the judge's uh, office i really think it's going to be you know this wizard of oz there's no one behind the curtain or it's you know, Renslayer herself because the timekeepers have been gone for a thousand years, or I think that we're really setting up something other than it's going to be three people that look like the animation that we saw in the first episode. It would seem to be the feeling of just about a little more than half of our audience, Matt. I had asked in a poll on Twitter how many people are guarding the timekeepers. The choices were one, 22%, many, 16%. And then none, the overwhelming majority here, 62%. There you go. Um, Pete, one more theory question for me. 
Loki singing in Asgardian to Sylvie. Is this possibly setting up a Sylvie flashback episode about which I know more than I would like? <laughs> and I is that next week? your own question. <laughs> um, she did not know her magic wasn't going to work at the TVA. That was an interesting aspect. Pete, in my mind, it's one of two things. Either it's just uh, a neat opportunity to show her in action slash remind us of the facts that we, the audience, already know, which is to say magic doesn't work there. Uh, or it is some kind of story set up for the future. Like, she needs to know it so that she doesn't try that in the next episode or, or something like that. Um, again, I feel like it's one of those things. It's either, like, a super important fact, either because it's a past fact or it's because it'll be referenced in the future or it's just a character moment, an action moment, that kind of thing. So they've not used past Sylvie anymore, uh, you know, identification for her. She says she's not a Loki. That's not who she is anymore. Um, we haven't gotten the Lofi, Laufey daughter uh, name They've used Enchant, but not called her Enchantress, probably for fear of some uh, copyright infringement lawsuit from uh, the distinguished competition. Um, but the aspect of her identity, and again, you know, I didn't know the stills that have emerged that are from what you're saying is a behind the scenes video uh that's that's hit youtube um her her backstory is coming uh it'll be interesting to see how deeply they will delve and how similar that will be to loki's i think that if as kate heron has said on uh on twitter if a goal if she had a personal goal uh, to establish Loki as bisexual and to bring that extra bit of diversity into the MCU, then I think it's a better use of, you know, the, the Lady Loki thing, the Lady Loki options and whatnot. It's a better... Everything is better served, particularly if whether you're going to say in the season, in the series, or in the episode where you're establishing Loki as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, why not do it for Sylvie as well? Why not have it be an opportunity where it's not, it's not from a bunch of comic options, it's not this, it's not that. Instead, Sylvie was most comfortable, the, the variant that, the variant that uh, Sylvie was before adopting the the visual and the name and the identity of sylvie that it can be a light metaphor for uh gender identity and self-identity and things of that sort why not go for it in this episode of all episodes just ha have both truths be out there and have both truths be within the course of their uh of, of this story be unremarkable because both uh sylvie and loki are accepting of themselves and accepting of the person across from them similar as they might have started out in theory and to just be have this moment where you say well i kind of i'm gonna know about you and i'm gonna know about you okay great on to nap time and figgy port will she also have been is she a frost giant i would expect that we get 
if only because of the idea that you can really hammer home the idea that Sylvie had a, had a personal identity that was different than maybe how she externally presented and that she she adopted the Sylvie personality, the, the Sylvie look externally because it's who she was internally. I would definitely expect that we get made clear to us it was the exact same start point. Now, whether the variation occurred, and I don't mean variation in an identity sense, I mean strictly in the kind of the, the MCU multiple branching timeline thing. Um, if that branch then occurred very early on, you know, day of birth or whatever, fine. But I, I would be shocked if the story does not say this Sylvie started out the same as Loki and along the way she decided she was Sylvie, she was female, she was more comfortable looking like... Uh, Sophia DiMartino than Tom Hiddleston and these were all conscious choices that that this character made to to suit their own identity and happiness how about this idea that Loki was told by his mother he could do anything hence meet the timekeepers uh subvert them uh subjugate them and ultimately control craft the flow of time I would expect well that I see what you're laying down there, Pete. Let me say this. I think that we are going to learn, this is just based on some of the acting that Sofia Martino was, was, you know, throwing up in that scene, not vomiting, just sh- putting up on the screen is what I'm trying to say. I think that we will see that one of the multiple ways in which her life varied from that of Loki was the loss of her mother um, earlier on, earlier than Loki um, found out. Or, or pardon me, not found out or earlier than Loki lost his mother, just as she found out that she was a, a you know she was adopted far earlier than Loki did. So I think one of those many differences, it's going to be more than just an identity difference, um, for a variety of reasons, including uh, Sylvie equals bad. Sylvie only difference is that she's gender fluid, therefore gender fluid is bad. No, like that's not a good look. I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to get the other forty-eight days, if you will, of Sylvie. And the absence of a mother will be one of those multitude of differences. Pete, what else do you have in your theory sack there? All right. Really going to blow your mind with this one. So we get in that second to last scene, the enchantment details, how it works. It's not a power that Loki himself has yet exhibited, uh, but one that Sylvie uses. They, They have different forms of magic, different tricks in their bags. So she says that she has to physically make contact with the subject that she's going to enchant. Most are easy. She gets them right away. Others are stronger. It gets tricky. She's in control. But they are there, too. Yes, she's speaking about what we saw at the beginning of the episode, Matt. But is Loki enchanted right then and there in an episode in which we're told how it's going to end. It ends that way. Is that an out? Was this all a dream? Um, I have goosebumps at that theory because I always tell my students, it was all a dream. You can't use that ending because it's always weak unless it's the wizard of Oz. And I know there's obviously a couple of other exceptions, but Pete, if it is revealed, let me put it this way. If next week's episode is mostly a Sylvie flashback, and then we get at the very end, um, 
not necessarily new new like we don't advance the timeline of the of this season but instead it's revealed the truth that sylvie zapped him what back in the the miners shack or whatever i think that i don't want to say there's a strong possibility because i don't i i think pete it's one of these theories that's so good and a week from now kate heron's going to be on twitter either saying oh my goodness, I can't believe like the smartest of people like this at Peter J. Kettler figured it out so quickly. <laughs> or it's going to be one of those things where she's going to be on Twitter going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that we worked on this show for two and a half years. It never occurred to us to do that. We just wanted to say uh, impossible situation for these people to escape. They've gotten off track from the TVA. We're going to have... Owen Wilson, who was sidelined in this episode, and Gugu Mbatha-Raw, who was mostly sidelined in this episode, they're going to swoop in to save the day or something. It's a way to bring the two storylines together again. It never occurred to us to do this. So I think it's going to be its one of those two extremes. Either you are very, very right, or shamefacedly, Michael Waldron's going to say, oh, I didn't think of that. This was around when I had to leave the show to go do Doctor Strange, and yikes, that was a good one, Pete. So... One of those two options, either a yes or a no. See, I'm taking a stance. <laughs> uh, I mean, this being uh, the week that Kate Heron finished this episode on Father's Day at her uh, parents' kitchen table, the same place that she prepared the pitch two years ago. Is that true? Yes. That is scary. And look, I the, zero criticism here for Kate Heron or anyone else in the show because deadlines are scary I, w- I will say this as well pete i know the and this is where i need to the, the multiple timelines of our own reality i find echoing back i know the show came out a couple days early moving from fridays to wednesdays do i recall that at one point we were projecting you and i were projecting a slightly earlier release for this show do i remember that correctly oh yeah at one point in may so i mean uh and you sit and go oh well disney didn't announce a date Ooh. Oh, they've announced it for, you know, what was the start date? June 9th? Oh, they've, they've picked it because they're all smart. Pete, maybe they picked June 9th and not May 12th um, because they were like, you know, iceberg straight ahead. Woo, woo. We just hit the, we don't have enough time to do the secret internal date of May. Can we do it by May, by June 9th? Maybe. Like, Pete, that is scary to think that here we are talking on Saturday, June 26th. And seven days ago, when Kate Heron woke up in the morning, the episode was not done. I mean, that is that I my heart goes out to her and everybody involved in the production who must be jazzed every day to wake up. And they must be terrified at the notion that you're not going to finish in time. But that's not an option. If it's not an enchantment situation, I mean, you can foresee. And then Mobius comes through a time door. Or Renslayer, or Renslayer and Mobius, or B fifteen, or Casey, Casey, or Casey, Casey at the bat, be 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 a good one. Uh, is there an unforeseen way they escape Lamentus one? I mean, what we have been told is that these apocalypses, whether they are only so big as to take out a town, or big enough to wipe out a civilization. What we've been told is that they are total and that there's been kind of no ambigu- ambiguity to that. I get that Loki was playing in the space of 
but we can nudge this one ship away because never in the history of time have there been Loki and Sylvie to get the ship to take off, obviously prior to it blowing up. Um, I feel like, Pete, I'm joking aside, you know, yes or no, I'm taking a stand. I feel like joking aside, either it's all a dream or the group of people with the ability to slide through time in magic doors and save people in the last minute, the TVA, must come save the day. I really... I, I I don't say I can't imagine because okay fine these are all professional you know practice storytellers making this but like I don't know what else exists in the universe of Loki the TV show other than one of those two options. Pete, it's time to check the mailbag, and we will start with our poll on Twitter. Uh, which gave the following options. One smiley face, lamentable, 2.1%. I mean, come on, look, this was not the strongest episode of the season. I, if you gave it a one smiley face, um, I, I, we all know why. Uh, two smiley faces, no ticket, got 6.3%. Three smiley faces, the train job, got 45.8%. And four smileys, Sylvie's metaphor, uh, and to be honest, Pete, when I typed that down, it was like right after she had said, you know, that's a terrible metaphor. I didn't actually, in retrospect, I didn't mean it to be like Sylvie as a metaphor for, you know, trans and fluidity and all that. But that also got 45.8%. So, Pete, in terms of our split between the four spot and the three spot, markedly down from the first two episodes. But what is that? 90 plus percent giving it a three or a four. This was my favorite episode of the three so far. Uh, so that you would have a, a tie between the top two tells you right there that I'm not alone. We heard on Twitter from Ian Silverman. That's at Sylvie underscore 76. Uh, enjoyed the episode, though not as much as either of the first two. With only six episodes in the whole series, I wish they'd moved the overall plot along more than they did. But this episode will give us a chance to get to know Sylvie better. Banter between she and Loki was quality. And I'm curious to dig deeper into what her years in the making plan is really all about. Also, I had to watch a couple of times before I realized the whole five-minute sequence where they're trying to get uh, the arc was done as a quote-unquote one-er a single continuous shot, or at least use special effects to make it look that way, a la Birdman or 1917. Very impressive. Kudos to the director and cinematographer on that one. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to hear what you thought. Until next week, stay fantastic. That with the PH. Uh, we heard from uh, Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo 1983. The first three episodes have been lots of exposition, but we needed it. We need the background for Sylvie's actions. We have some answers, but need more. The fact that the agents are all variants turns the series upside down. In my opinion, this makes the TVA the bad guys. I need episode four now. We heard also from J. Philly B. That's at J. Philly B. For fandom. Uh, biggest takeaways. C20 liked her margaritas hundreds of years ago. Loki has a lovely voice. And he really, really loves his daggers. If all TVA agents are variants, maybe pruning the timeline doesn't destroy a variant but wipes their memory. Not a bad thought there. Uh, J. Philly B. goes on to say, Then the timekeepers repurpose them to guard the sacred timeline. Could Mobi uh, could explain Mobius's obsession with the 90s and the no robots rule. So maybe, Pete, we get Mobius back where he should be in the 90s? I don't know. Well, I um, think the memory thing clears away immediately for the 90s. 
there you go. Uh, which I will point out, by the way, Pete, uh, a fact I'm sure you know, as well as your jet ski owning brother knows. Uh, jet skis actually started to be a thing in the 70s and then were very popular in the 80s. It wasn't the spontaneous birth of the 90s. But if you're setting up de-aged Owen Wilson, shaggy-haired, smiling <laughs> on, a, on a jet ski in, you know, uh, the Lake Mead by Hoover Dam or something like that in the final episode, you, you do you, Loki. Um, but back to J. Philly B., now that Sylvie has a name, does that bolster the Enchantress theories? Not sure how, it's fit, uh, how it fits. But also, why does her headpiece only have one horn? Not sure whether it was like that last week or not. It was. Not as much fun as last week, but the theme of the last two episodes seems to be Loki asking all the questions and not getting any answers. Uh, and as for the one question, which I know I just whispered an answer to, uh, Bruja Escalarta, that's at Modern Priscilla, says, I think her headpiece has one horn broken off, which, uh, Pete, you and I can both confirm. Yes. Uh, we heard from Darren Bell. That's at Darren B4605259. Pete, I hope Darren doesn't find out that Darren is a variant working for the TVA <laughs> with all those numbers there. Really enjoyed this episode. The banter between the two Lokis was fun. Really good fight scenes. Thought the CGI special effects looked great. Can't wait to see how they escape the planet. Maybe a cameo appearance savior. Pete, is this something... Uh, will next week's episode, will the cameo appearance savior be uh, something that I read in the last week that James Gunn was pushing for? Will this be the big DCU-MCU crossover? Does Superman save the day next week? <laughs> Definitively no. Uh, by the way, it's all well and good for James Gunn to have talked to executives at both DC and Marvel for a cinematic crossover. Um, that will be when Hell Freeze is over. Uh, but I digress, Pete. Let's hear from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf. Lots of Loki banter and one big reveal has left me disappointed. Uh, Pete, I wish I had replied to Jackie's tweet to ask her which big reveal left her disappointed. Jackie, have to be in touch here. Let us know what big reveal left you disappointed. Um, we heard from Loki Motion. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. Good episode. Weakest of the three story-wise for me. Pete, that's four with a PH. Uh, I saw that. Yes. They're spelling everything now with a PH. So all these forthcoming F sound words uh, have, have, P -P the F, four. have the PH. There you go. <laughs> Felt like it stretched for no reason, but still enjoyable. Looked fantastic with great performances. All right. Performance, P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E. Loki Motion, we love you dearly. Uh, you could have said per PH formances, but your heart's in the right place. Uh, kick a dollar sign, dollar sign, fight scenes. That's fight with a PH. Hiddleston continues to be phenomenal. Um, oh, and I see Spider-Ham Lincoln said, don't you mean performances with the PH? So, Pete, everybody's playing along here. Uh, we heard from Jared Showerman. That's uh, at the AV seal, S-E-A-L. Felt a bit like a filler episode, but still enjoyable. Is this all an illusion, beginning when Sylvie first touches Loki in the abandoned mining shaft? Is Kang a timekeeper, and is Renslayer in on the TVA's deception of agents? Lots of questions. Can't wait for next week. Pete, I have one thought, and I don't think you said this last week. Maybe you did. Um, and it's something that somehow Jared's words just inspired this in my head. Some sort of, when we have the time travel stuff, or the... Um, memory identity which is separate from kind of gender and orientation identity we've seen this in other movies could it be possible that the other agent working 
The other agent who visits Renslayer, who Mobius is a little jealous of, could it be the exact same Mobius who doesn't remember visiting there? That sort of tragic, oh, I don't know you, my memory is lost kind of thing? I I really like that. Um, I don't know if they'd go in that direction. There's plenty of time. There's three 45 to 55 minute episodes <laughs> left to have the sad tragedy that Renslayer every so often needs to, you know, do the memory wipe. And then Mobius is like, wow, who are you? And then wow. 100 years later, wow, who are you? Wow. And she has to say goodbye to her love. Look, Kate Heron, if you're still editing these episodes, call me. <laughs> okay, I could, I could write some punch up here. We can get Hiddleston in front of a green screen, no problem. Same thing with Owen Wilson. Anyhow. Uh, we heard from Jordan Tanner. Now, Pete, that's not the original Jordan Tanner. I know that because his uh, Insta- uh, Instagram, his Twitter name is Jordan Tanner Variant. That's at Mighty underscore Jor. I really enjoyed the character development for Loki and Sylvie. Oh, Pete, this is the first time I'm seeing that Sylvie has a, um, a hashtag with a little face after yes. it. How, wh- wh- yeah. Whatever the proper name is for that. Um but anyhow, uh, character development for Loki and Sylvie. The high-stakes side plot felt reminiscent of The Mandalorian. Lamentist 1 reminded me of the worlds of uh, GOTG, Guardians of the Galaxy, or Star Wars. Hearing Loki sing an Asgardian song was both heartwarming and tragic. Deep down, he is an Odin son. Ah, so true, Pete. It's not, it's not, your, it's not what your DNA says, says, it's what your heart says. Um... The cinematography, which I guess Pete also could be a, itself, they could use Loki's Loki's literal nature as an adopted member of the family who nonetheless is part of the family because that's what the heart says. You could That could be thrown in the mix there in terms of like identity and your heart is what you want, not what other people tell you. There's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole thing going on here. Um, anyhow, back to Jordan. The cinematography and use of color was top-notch. Sylvie's revelation that the TVA... Pete, TVA has a hashtag, too, with a little Miss Minutes. I'm missing yes. out here. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So, Sylvie's revelation that the TVA agents are variants has big implications. Is Renslayer in on the lies? I enjoyed how they explored more of Loki's powers. Overall, it was a great episode. Are the folks who didn't like the episode just having trouble with week-to-week storytelling? Maybe movies are more satisfying for them because of the end-to-end plot in two hours? Uh, to that question, Pete, Spider-Ham Lincoln at TessLC139 says, Nope, I didn't have trouble with week-to-week storytelling. I have trouble with week episodes, W-E-A-K, and Lemon Lamentis was just that. So, Pete, some opinions about this episode here. Uh, James the Sagacious, uh, and Pete, there's no numbers after that because uh, at Big Killin on Twitter, he's the one and only in every timeline. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I felt, with a PH, like it, uh, I felt like one long take. Maybe he meant it felt like a one take. A perfect combination of dialogue and action. Uh, Pete, now we hear more formally from Spider-Ham Lincoln. Sorry, Loki, but this was the worst of the first half. Um, too much time spent getting nowhere on Lamentus. Not enough revelation. No Mobius, no Renslayer. Really not much TVA. Quite uninspiring, in my opinion. Looking forward to a hopefully much better second half of the series. Some conversation there between Jordan and... And uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln Renslayer did appear, not previously on. No, no, no. Actually, in the episode, Spider-Ham Lincoln says, you're right, but a four-word, ten-second, blink-and-you'll-miss-it appearance is not enough to say Renslayer had any significant screen time this episode. Literally any TVA agent with an impressive weapon could have had the same impact on the plot as Renslayer did. Pete, I will say this. Clearly, Spider-Ham Lincoln stands Gugu Mbatha-Raw, the fantastic actress behind uh, Renslayer. I mean, you know, her her absence 
for the majority of this episode is spent. But at least we we got that little bit in there. More coming. And over on our Facebook page, Steve Adams wrote in to say, Episode 3 of Loki was quite enjoyable. In my opinion, the best yet. In many ways, this felt like an episode of Doctor Who, but without the pretentiousness. The character work between Loki and Sylvie was, wait for it, magical. We still don't know her plan, not really. It would seem that the members of the TVA were stolen from across the timeline. Unless she is lying, because that's what Lokis do. Both of these characters feel the TVA is a problem, but they seem to have differing reasons as to why. I think this episode really advanced the story, and we seem to have an endpoint developing. I'm intrigued to see how this turns out. I know you guys will bring your analysis as only you can do. Until next week, stay fantastic. So Pete, uh, Steve, <laughs> having uh, both praise and uh, a finger wag there at Doctor Who, uh, and my goodness, Pete, two Brits in this episode, Loki and Sylvie, Tom Hiddleston and uh, Sofia DiMartino. Uh, does it get much more Doctor who than that? I don't know. Next up, Pete, we got an email from Jon Stewart. No, no. Not from The Daily Show. It's more Jon Stewart-like from DC, because he spells it J-O-H-N. That's right. Green Lantern himself, perhaps. Uh, John, we probably made this joke before, because I know you've been in time periodically over the the various time units. Um, But John says this, Pete. Hi, Matt and Pete. I just watched Loki Episode 3, and I have a theory for you. Most of the episode, everything past Sylvie Enchanting Loki, happens within their minds. Pete, let me pause his words there for a second. I saw that he emailed prior to us podcasting. I want John to know I did not look at the email until now, uh, and I'm glad I only saw it now because I probably would have subconsciously ripped this off from him as opposed to it showing up in the course of our normal conversation. So, uh, John, you were the first one to tell this to me. I just didn't read it until now. So, extra I know, Green Lantern rings for you there. But anyhow, back to John's words here. She's trying to get information from Loki, mostly about the gadget. And he, at some point uh, in the enchantment, realizes this is what she's doing. He's playing along. Ooh, John has doubled down here, Pete. He's playing along as he desperately needs information about the TVA that he clearly wants. That or he swiped a time stone from the TVA. So, Pete, okay, John on board with the it's all a dream theory. Now he has doubled down to say Loki's doing it back to her. Let me triple down to that. That then, if if it all is a dream, then there still is a tempad, so they can still get out of there after charging it up, or they can still get out of there on the arc. So both story options might exist still. Your thoughts on all of this? I'm going to add another element to this. Quadruple down? <laughs> remember, so you mentioned the Infinity Stones. Remember that the Tesseract got its own little Marvel Legends episode. And I don't think that was like, hey, watch this just so you know in the first episode and can understand. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if that comes back into play for any of our characters here. Pete, which of those Infinity Stones that we saw in the drawer, which of those is the Stone of a Carpenter? I want to find out. That's an Easter egg or a reference. One of those two. Pete. <laughs> to Easter. <laughs> there you go. Indeed. To, to the most Easter of Easter stories, come to think of it. Um, I think that's going full circle, like one might go around a gauntlet or a stone. Well, it's Easter every day of the year, Matt, over on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. 
Indeed, Pete, it's our treat to know that we are listeners supported by everyone who goes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, everyone who keeps us listeners supported, some of those real world costs that do happen uh, in the real world, not in the branching timelines and whatnot, and uh, you know, those listeners who help us out, and we are so appreciative to have them along for the ride. You determine the value you place on this podcast. Get yourself to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Takes just a dollar to get you through that door. All sorts of goodies behind there. Uh, but uh, just a dollar. And if you can't contribute this month, uh, get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating in seconds, a review, a little longer, all of which help make us go let's keep this conversation going pete how can people be in touch with you on twitter you find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 11,998 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. We will keep the Loki conversation going next Saturday, and indeed every Saturday. Uh, who knows? Perhaps there will be breaking pop culture news between then and now, prompting an additional entry on the pop culture podcast feed. But whether you listen there or solely on our Loki feed, definitely it'll be time to talk more Loki next Saturday. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. For my next trick, I'll make you disappear. Disappear.